0: Well, good morning everyone. I'm so glad you've come to worship with us and those online who are watching today I encourage you to open your Bible and find Matthew's Gospel and we are in chapter number 22 Matthew's Gospel chapter 22. What a sweet morning of worship together today. Amen And so I am so glad that you're here today and I encourage you to open your Bible, turn it on and find Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, and we're going to begin with verse number 1. Today, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus, and a parable is teaching a spiritual truth, or more than one truth. And so Jesus tells multiple parables. Some of them sound similar to one another, but some have a different uh, purpose or meaning or context when they're spoken. And Jesus is teaching spiritual truth, by these great parables. And so today we're gonna look at one of those. And uh, Brother Andrew, very similar to the song that we just sang about a great banquet and a great invitation. So look with me if you will to chapter 22 beginning with verse one. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent out his troops, killed those murderers, burned down their city. And he told the servants... The banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city. Invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads. They gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot, throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Father in heaven, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word, and Father, that you would guide us in the study of it this morning. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you teach us, teach us, we're listening, speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that we would set aside everything that would distract us. And that, Father, that we would concentrate on what you have to say to us. And, Father, I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would confront us. I pray that, Father, you would encourage us. And, Father, I pray that you would lead us to repentance and deeper faith in you. Father, we need you. We're listening. We ask you to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to talk about a great banquet. And then we're going to look in this parable and we'll see the callous refusal. And then a righteous response. And then an expanded invitation. We'll also notice an examination of the guests. And today, we will focus for a moment on this great kingdom truth. That's sort of the outline of the message today. Have you ever been invited to something that was really special and you were so excited that you were invited? I heard a story this on the radio just the other day. it was an interview with Ricky Horton who was interviewing Oral Hersheiser who was a great pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Oral uh, Hersheiser was talking about in particular his all-star career and in particular his season in 1988. He had 59 plus consecutive innings where no one scored on him, amazing. He had 23 wins. In 1988, he was the National League Most Valuable Player, the World Series Most Valuable Player, and he was the Cy Young Award winner. Earl Hersheiser grew up in New York, Canada, and New Jersey, graduated from a Cherry Hills, New Jersey High School. He was just an average student at best. He didn't make the varsity baseball team until he was a junior, but he was dominant in his senior year. He went away to college to play baseball, flunked out academically the second year, and his parents uh, put him to work and then sent him back to school to try try again. But he became an amazing, competitive baseball player. He was nicknamed by Tommy Lasorda the Bulldog. And he was, he, by the way, is a, a dedicated Christian man. And uh, he tells about an invitation. He says, that after he said, after my 1988 season, he said, I got invited to all kinds of places I could never imagine. I got invited to the Tonight Show. I got invited to the David Letterman Show. I got invited to the Arsenio Hall Show. He said, I got invited to the White House to a state dinner. He said, you gotta be kidding, they invited me. And when he got there, he got a table assignment card. You're in table number 54. And so he had people that escort you around and show you around and, and so he, somebody said, the President of the United States, the President wants to talk to you. So the President's time is Ronald Reagan. He went to the table and he was talking to Ronald and Nancy and all of a sudden he got interrupted and he went back to his table and then a messenger came over to him and said, the president wants to see you again. He went back and talked to the president again. And then he went back to where, the area where he was supposed to be near table 54, which is in the back of the hall. And Colin Powell walked up to him and handed him a card, which he put in his pocket. And somebody else came up and talked to him. Then later he pulled out the card and said, you've been reassigned from table 54 to table 1. And he was then elevated to sit at the president's table with Vice President Bush. And he sat next to Margaret Thatcher. He said... I thought to himself, this can't be real. When he was leaving, he wasn't even sure what to do. And they pulled his car up, valet, and there was a Navy man in full dress standing there in his whites and opened the the door for him. He thought he was supposed to tip him. He reached in his pocket for money. He said, no, you're all good, Mr. Cy Young, get in the car. What's the greatest invitation you've ever been given? There's none greater than what this parable talks about. Notice with me the great banquet. In chapter number 22, it says he spoke this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. It is a wedding banquet, and he's giving it in honor of his son. So it's a great banquet, number one. It is a great banquet because it has a great purpose. The king was giving a banquet. It's special because it's the king that's giving the banquet. When Jesus speaks of the king of the kingdom, it's reference to God the Father himself. And he's giving a great banquet and and, uh, he is the king. He's not just anyone. He is king of all. He's the most powerful, most important person in all the country, the king. He's unlike anyone else. And he's giving a banquet. The purpose of this banquet is in honor of his son and the celebration of his marriage. The celebration of the joining of two lives together for his son. The most important person to the king is the king's son. It's a king's banquet, and it's given at the king's cost. Notice with me in the verse number four, he says, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. It is all secured by the cost. To, at the cost to the king. It's my dinner. It's my day. It's my oxen. It's my cattle. It's my barbecue. It's my preparation. It is at my experience. I've paid it all. And folks, I want you to know, God has offered a great table of grace for all who will come, but you don't bring your own meat. You don't bring your own supplies. It's not potluck. It's prepared by Almighty God at his expense. Salvation's offer is glorious and gracious and rich and beautiful, and it's paid by him. You bring nothing, you add nothing. Your salvation is all a work of God, not your work. Amen? It's like August Toplady wrote years ago, that great hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Paul wrote, writes, he saved us. Notice he says, when the kindness of God and our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, We may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. What a great table of grace God has prepared for all of us. But not only that, it was a gracious invitation. Notice in verse number 3 and 4, he sends his servants to summon those invited to the banquet. How gracious on his part. He had pre-invited many. And he had been pre-invited them to come. And then when all the preparation's ready, he sends his servants out and says, everything's ready, come on. And this is the way they would have done it in the ancient world. And they, they, they didn't want to come. He says, everything's ready. Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the Jews. We have some insight about who he's talking about in the parable prior to this one. Look with me to Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done and is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. And when the chief priests and Pharisees heard these parables, they knew he was speaking about them. You see, they were presumptuous. They thought they had all the promises of the kingdom because they were Israelites, because of their race and their religion. They thought that they had an in and they were automatically invited. But it's not about race and it's not about religion, but it's about a relationship. And that relationship is to the king and his Son. Secondly, notice the callous refusal. Notice these servants go out and say, everything's ready. Everything's prepared, but they didn't want to come. Notice the callousness of their heart. In verse number five, it says, But they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. Verse number six, The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and he killed them. So some of them respond apathetically. They're dismissive. They don't want to come. So they paid no attention. No attention to the servants, the messengers that the king had sent. They dismissed them. They turned, their, they turned their back on them. They ignored them. They basically thumbed their nose at the invitation and said, we're not coming. I got my own life to live. I got my own work to do. I got my own business to take care of. I got my own agenda. I don't have time to go to the king's dinner. And I don't have time To honor his son. Who cares what the king wants? I'm gonna live my life the way I wanna live it. We are warned in Scripture today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. When you thumb your nose at God and his invitation of salvation, My friends, you have turned your back on the only hope of being saved. You cannot save yourself. You need God's grace. Amen? But that's not the worst of it, although that's... Even others, they act not with apathy and dismissal, but they act with anger and hostility. And they seized his servants and they mistreated them and even killed some of them. That's the way they treated the prophets, the messengers from God. And they were inviting. Why would they act such, in such a way? Why would they act with such hostility and hatefulness? If you have your Bible, look with me, and maybe it's on the screen, Psalm chapter 2. Notice with me in the second Psalm, Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers conspire to gather against the Lord and his anointed one, his Messiah. The kings of the earth, they know, they, this is what they say, verse 3. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord ridicules them. And then he speaks to them in his anger, and he terrifies them in his wrath. They say, let's cast off the king. Let's reject the king. Let's rage against the king. Let's rebel against the king. We're going to rule our own lives. Who does he think he is? He's king. That's who he is. My friends, when you set yourself up to be an enemy of the king, then the king's righteous anger comes to you. Wow. It's rebellion against authority. That's why we do and act so hatefully against his messengers. You know, we live in a world, don't we, where when you preach the gospel, people get angry. Some are dismissive and others get angry and sometimes hostile and enraged because they want to live their own way. They want to go, they love their own sin. And the Bible says they love the darkness rather than the light. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans in chapter number 1. Look with me to Romans chapter number 1, verse number 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he's made, and as a result, people are without excuse, for they, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the culture that we live in. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, and verse number 34, When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. This is a parable Jesus told just before this one. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first group. And they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come. Let's kill him and take his inheritance. And they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, What will he do to those farmers? What will the king do? And how will the king respond to the rejection of his servants and the hateful treatment of them? The third part of this parable is a righteous response. Notice in chapter 22, verse 7, the king was enraged. Let me ask you a question right there. Do you think it's right for God to get angry? Do you think it's right for God to get angry? Why would God ever get angry? His wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. Our God is a holy God. Holy. Notice the king's anger. It's not sinful anger. It's righteous anger. Does he have the right to be angry? Is it ever wrong? No. Because God's first love is for his son. You disrespect his son. You dishonor his son. You reject his son then you fall under the wrath of God. In the king's judgment, what does he do in this parable? Notice in the parable that he told the servants... He Notice in verse number 7, he sent out his troops, he killed those murderers, and he burned down their city. The king's judgment is that he brought destruction on those who destroyed his servants. After the rejection of Jesus, not many years, In A.D. 70, during the first Jewish-Roman War, under the administration of Titus the General, in a five-month siege of Jerusalem, they besieged the city, they penetrated its walls, and they literally knocked down the walls, destroyed the temple, And completely burned and destroyed the second temple. Because of the rebellion in in Jerusalem. And Roman rule was restored. Josephus the historian said over one million people died in that siege. The city was ravaged by murder and famine and burned to the ground. The victory over Jerusalem was celebrated in Rome with two triumphal arches being built in Rome to commemorate the destruction of Jerusalem. And treasures from the temple complex were taken to Rome and put on public display as trophies of their victory. And Christians living in Jerusalem and Judea were forced to disperse all over the Roman Empire. But God used that great dispersion to take the gospel around the world. I don't know what Jesus was talking about that, what, in this parable, but some scholars think it might be a hint toward AD 70 at what happened. But the spiritual truth is still true. Stay with me. When you reject the Lord's message, you have no hope. And you fall under the righteous anger and wrath of God. Would you look with me in your Bible? This is very serious. I, I, I know this is a bit heavy today, but stay with me. There's good news to come. Tell your neighbor. Good news is coming. All right. Look with me. To the book of Revelation, chapter number 6. You have your Bible. Revelation, chapter number 6. In verse number 15. Well, actually, we'll begin with verse 12. It says, I saw him open the sixth seal and a violent earthquake occurred and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair and the entire moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind and the sky was split apart like the scroll rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth The nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person, notice, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of their wrath has come. And here's the question. And who is able to stand? When God comes in his fierce judgment, men will cry out that they might die rather than face it. And here's the question, who can stand? In chapter number seven, verse number nine, and after this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. And listen, he asked the question, who can stand? Standing. Before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. (laughs) Amen. Who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. How can you stand in a day of judgment? The only way you can stand is that you've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith rests in him. That ought to make somebody say praise the Lord. Notice the expanded the expanded invitation. Notice how gracious he is. In verse number nine, he says to these servants, go then to where the road exits the city, go outside of town, and where the roads connect with the interstates, out on the edge of town. He says, I want you to invite everyone you find to the banquet. So the servants went out to the roads and they gathered everyone they found, both the evil and good. And the wedding banquet was filled with guests. He says to his servants, hey, boys, men and women, my servants, I want you to go out and I want you to invite. He says the one that was earlier invited that refused to come, they are not worthy to attend. But the banquet is now ready. Everything has been prepared. It's the day to honor my son, and there's still room in my banquet hall. I want you to go out in the highways and the byways, and I want you to compel them to come in to celebrate this great wedding. Invite everyone. Go to the crossroads. Go outside of the city to the exit roads. I want you to invite the country people, I want you to invite the country rubes and the Urbane cultured. I want you to invite all of them, everyone you see, those that are rich and those who are poor, those who are educated and those who are not. I want you to invite anyone, travelers, prostitutes, anyone to come that my house might be filled for the glory of my son. Go to anyone. Go to go to everyone and invite them. Go to prostitutes and tax gatherers and sinners. Anyone, yes, anyone. The servants say, Lord, you mean anyone, everyone, and anyone. You invite them that my house will be full. I want to show my grace. The servants, who do they represent? Us. We've got the good news. We're called to go out and tell everybody. God didn't call you to judge people. He called you to tell the good news to people. Amen? Tell your neighbor, we got good news to tell. Everything's ready. He's paid for it. You're welcome. We are called. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This is what God's called us to do. And we do it to please the Father, so that the Son might be glorified. This is what God called us to do. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. John 15, 15 says, no longer do I call you slaves. A slave doesn't know what his father's doing. I called you friends. All things I've heard my, my father I've made known to you. And you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. But can you imagine some of the servants thinking, now, last time servants went to proclaim the good news, they were dismissed and some of them were killed. Can you imagine maybe this? But Lord... We went, and they didn't listen. You go. But, Lord, some of them said no and hurt our feelings. It's not about you. But, Lord, they ignored us. But, Lord, some of them made fun of us and ridiculed us, so I'm not going to ever witness anymore. When did it come about You? Tell your neighbor, it's not all about you. It's about him. Amen? Hmm. But Lord, they killed some of us. It's about his glory. The Lord says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men insult you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for your reward is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. These are the words that Jesus gave us. You go, and your reward's with me. You obey. And then you watch me work. I think we've all been maybe heard the story or been touched by the story of the missionaries to Ecuador that went among the Okuz people Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott and Ed McCauley. They gave their lives and they died in the middle of the rainforest of Ecuador among a hostile people group. If you don't know the story, Jim Elliott grew up in the West Coast. He went to school in the Midwest and the Wheaton College. He felt the call to go to Ecuador as a missionary. He worked, by the way, in 1951 for part of the year in Chester, Illinois, with Ed McCulley, who we would go to Ecuador with. They served in a church in Chester. They ministered at Menard Prison. They started Bible schools, taught Sunday school, did evangelistic campaigns. In 1953, he married Elizabeth Elliot. In 1954, their daughter Valerie was born 1955, and Elliot and Emicali and Roger Yodavan and Pete Fleming and Nate Saint, they were serving in the jungles. They went to this people group and they initially tried to make contact with them by giving them gifts, dropping gifts from an airplane so that they could have them. Initially, some of the tribes came to them when they built their little mission post near where these people lived, and, and yet they were ambushed. And in the jungle, they were all killed by the spears of their enemies. Elizabeth Elliot and her daughter Valerie and Rachel Saint, rather than leaving, stayed. They ministered there among those people. And over the course of years, almost the entire village of those who murdered their husbands were saved. Because it wasn't about them. It was about the king. The greatest invitation of all the world is from God himself himself. Ho, oh, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Isaiah 55:1. In Matthew 11:28, Jesus said, "Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The banquet hall is filled. Almost every seat is filled for the glory of God after the servants have done, been faithful in their work. And the king, now this gets interesting, stay with me. The king comes in and he examines those who are seated. In verse number 11, it says, he came to see the guest and he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. And he said, friend, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes? and the man was speechless. Wow. The king told the attendants, tie him up, hand and foot, throw him in the outer darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, he comes improperly dressed to the wedding. And he asked him, how did you get in here? Why are you dressed like this? And the guy's speechless, he has no answer. And he's thrown out. You see, the invitation is for all. But all who come must be dressed properly. And there's only one way to be dressed properly. And that's through the garments that the Lord provides. It's not your righteousness, not your good works... It's the righteousness of Jesus. And without his righteousness, you have disrespected God and his son. The only way to be dressed properly is to repent of sin. Put your faith in Christ and be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's not many ways to God. There's one, only one. And if you're outside of Jesus, you're lost, and you will go to hell. There's only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. Oh, there is a way that seems right to the man, but the end leads only to death. My friends, only one way. Finally, the great truth. The great truth that is found here is in verse 14. For many are invited, many are called, but few are chosen. There are many people that are invited. The invitation is broad. But those that are chosen, those who are elect, are much smaller than those invited. God's chosen ones are the ones Who've repented of sin and trusted in Jesus Christ alone. So make every effort, Peter writes, to confirm your calling and your election. He who has the Son has the life, but he who has not the Son has not the life. Eternal life and salvation is found in Jesus alone. It's not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, that enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And that's his will, to believe in his Son, whom he hath sent. Your only hope, and mine, is Jesus Christ. Now, God has spread a banquet, man. It is awesome, and it's for you. Don't harden your heart. Turn from sin and trust him as your savior, Father in heaven. I thank you for the truth, it's powerful. And I pray that today, if there's one person here that doesn't know Christ as savior, they might pray a prayer like this today. Dear God, I know I've sinned. I know I've gone the wrong way, disobeyed you ignored you, been hostile. Lord, I've wanted to live however I wanted to live. But I know all of that's sin and I know I don't deserve to be saved But, God, I know that Jesus died for me. And I believe that he's your son. And today, Father, I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin. And I am trusting Jesus alone as my Savior. Father, I give my life to you. I ask you to change me and save me. Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me.